This is from Job, chapter 38, verses 1 through 11. Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, Who is this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? Dress for action like a man. I will question you, and you will make it known to me. Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me, if you have understanding. Who determined its measurements? Surely you know. Or who stretched the line upon it? Or on what were its bases sunk? Or who laid its cornerstone? And when the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy, or who shut in the sea with doors when it burst out from the womb, when I made clouds its garment and thick darkness its swaddling band, and prescribed limits for it and set bars and doors, and said, Thus far shall you come and no farther, and here shall your proud waves be stayed. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. It is good to be back. It was good to be away, but it's also good to be back. I'm very thankful for, um, you know, grace and peace. We just have what I call a deep preaching bench. Um, We just have a lot of brothers who can fill in and and preach. Uh, I think we could schedule preachers for the next couple months with just the people we have here. Um, So I'm just very thankful for everyone we have here and all the support uh, that you all have shown me. Um, Thank you. Um, I do want to mention one thing before we get started that uh, some of you have mentioned, are we going to be doing a sermon series? Are we doing a sermon series anytime soon? The answer is yes, um, if you consider late August soon. Um, So we're going to begin a series on Hebrews and that will begin, I don't have an exact date, so don't, I, I don't want to give you a date yet. It may be after Labor Day, but we're going to try to put that all together and have a plan laid out, hopefully in July for that. So, um, so up until that time, you'll be hearing sermons, uh, maybe a, a very short mini-series, but mostly sermons on a, on a particular text each week on a different text. So again, thank you for your patience with that as well. Pray with me. Father, we thank you so much for, I thank you for this fellowship. I thank you for your church. Thank you that you've given me the privilege to preach, but I pray, Lord, for your words to come through clearly and for my words, my um, ideas to decrease while yours increase. Lord, shape our hearts by your word this morning. Shape us by your worship and continue to do your work of beautifying our hearts, beautifying your church for your glory. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. So recently I saw an article about a well-known Christian musician named Jonathan Steingard from the band Hawk Nelson. Now, 
The article said he was well-known. I never heard of him. So that doesn't really mean a whole lot, but I believe he's well-known. <laughs> Anybody know of him? Mm-hmm. Okay. I see that hand. All right. Thank you, Eric. Um, but he posted a statement recently where he announced that he was renouncing his Christian faith. And he now considers himself an agnostic. Now, this certainly isn't the first time I heard of a well-known Christian personality leaving their faith, but it was disturbing to me, nevertheless, as it always is, when I hear of somebody so steeped in the Christian faith to be leaving the faith. And while we were away, I had some extra time to read more about him, to read about his faith, to read about his struggles, and I got to watch a lengthy interview with him as well. First of all, I really liked him. I felt like he was very uh, honest, very respectful. He wasn't somebody out there slamming the church. Uh, but he also had some pretty strong struggles. He grew up in a Christian home with loving parents. His father was a pastor. And it was refreshing to hear that he wasn't bashing his father or his parents. He really loved his father and said his father was a good pastor. So then I want to know what drove this guy to leave the faith. This sounds like a pretty good upbringing. Sounds like a pretty good life in, in Christ so far. But, and, and this was a faith that he not only held for most of his life, but it was a faith that really was the foundation for his making a living. He was in the Christian music business. A turning point, I mean, I, I, if, I'm, if I'm quoting him correctly or reading him correctly, the turning point for him, he was questioning his faith for a long time. And one of the turning points for him was on a trip to Africa, he was doing a, he was filming a uh, documentary on one of the, this, these displaced tribes. And he witnessed a lot of suffering. He witnessed children. He witnessed orphans. He witnessed families. He witnessed people starving, no water. And it was kind of a breaking point for him where he said, if this is a loving God, if we have a loving father, I'm a loving father to my children, what is happening with this God I've been worshiping all these years? And it was a breaking point for him. And the nature of our struggles, when we face these struggles, it brings out questions. Struggle gives birth to questions, gives birth to more struggles. And when we have questions, we're demanding answers. We need answers. Now, another hero of the faith, or a hero of the faith that you may be more familiar with, Corey Ten Boom. She would be what I would consider a, a saint of the 20th century. Uh, if you don't know of her, she was known for her courageous faith and testimony of how she and her family hid Jews during the time of the World War, uh, during World War II. She was in Holland and her family would house and hide Jews from the Nazi regime. Their home became known as The Hiding Place, which is also the name of, a, of her famous biography, The Hiding Place. Now, she died in 1983, and I was watching an interview with her from probably close to that time, early 80s. And the interviewer asked her, because what, you, what I've always known of her, and every testimony I've heard of her, was her amazing faith. And she did have an amazing faith when you, when you hear about what she had gone through, losing all of her family, including her dear sister, that they struggled together and she died finally. 
and Corey was the only one to come out of that concentration camp alive. The interviewer asked her one day, was God's grace always sufficient for you? And her answer was, yes, because God said so, but I lost courage. And one night in that concentration camp, I looked up at the stars and I said, Lord, all these stars are in your guidance. But have you forgot your child, Corey Ten Boom? Jonathan Steingard witnessed intense suffering. Corey Ten Boom experienced it personally. She experienced this brutal suffering at the hand of an evil Nazi regime. Both of these experiences led to deep, pressing questions about God and his care for their people. Regardless of where they ended up in the faith, these struggles brought great questions, questions they they continue to struggle with, and ones that I believe that Jonathan Steigard is still struggling with. I don't believe he's put his faith to rest. He's still struggling with these things. And the questions that we all have in times of suffering Where is our loving God in all of this? Where is our Heavenly Father when we feel so abandoned? The passage in Job 38 that was read this morning is placed, of course, toward the end of the book. It really would have been good to do a series on Job. But for right now, we're going to do an overview and focus on those 11 verses in chapter 38. Because in chapter 38, this is when God finally responds to Job. The first 31 chapters, the story is unfolding. Well, what was the question? Well, as you, if you're familiar with Job, then you, you, you know that he was struck with suffering as a result of the accuser, Satan, coming to, to God in the beginning of the, of the book. And Yahweh, God, saying, have you ever considered my servant Job? He's righteous. And Satan said, He's only righteous because you set a hedge around him. He's righteous only because you've made him successful. He's wealthy. He's got a family. He's healthy. Everything's going well. So Yahweh would prove Satan wrong. But it left Job struggling. Immediately, he was struck, lost his family, his house, and then eventually lost his health. God gave Satan authority over his body, except don't touch his life. Don't take his life. And then throughout that, after that, you have his friends, Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar, were trying to do the very thing we all try to do, provide answers. Provide answers for someone in suffering. Because surely there's a reason, and a reason that we can most likely understand, so we have to find that reason and explain why all this suffering is going on. Because that's what we all want, answers. Tim Keller says that questions about suffering lead people to respond in one of two ways. The first is to give pat answers, to give what we call moralist answers, that you're, you're suffering because something is going on and something needs to be fixed in your life. I'm going to group something, in el- something else in with those pat answers, and that is we just want to give an answer, so we try to find something that works. 
And maybe it's not that you're doing something wrong, but perhaps we come out with a trite verse or something. Not to be disrespectful, but, but, but we're just wanting to comfort. And we do that by giving an answer. The other way is responding with cynicism. It's just the way life is. If you get hit with this, you're, 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 it's just the way it is. Now, most of that is on the unbelieving side, but we do it too as believers, don't we? We can easily become cynical. We can struggle with, does God really see me? Does he really know me? Does he really feel the pain that I'm feeling? And is he concerned? So in suffering, we ask these questions when we need to know. We need to know who's responsible for this. We want to know why it's happening. And then how can we end this? And sometimes we church leaders or parents or, or teachers need to find a way to give an answer. But what's interesting when we look at this, this passage, God doesn't give Job the complete answer that we might expect him to give, does he? Certainly not what we expect when we're asking God questions about our suffering, not the answer we want. Yahweh God actually gives a rather challenging response to Job, and therefore to us. If you go back early in the book, Job seems to immediately, what's interesting is you see this, this kind of evolution of Job's suffering. And you see how Job is responding. The very beginning of the book, you see Job responding with this acceptance, this deep faith in God. If you go back to chapter 1, verse 21, when Job is struck, he says the, the, the very famous verse. If you're familiar with Job, you know this verse. And he said, naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked shall I return. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Chapter 2, when he's struck in the body, his wife finally comes and says, do you still hold fast to your integrity? Curse God and die. And Job, holding fast, holding to his faith, holding to his faith in Yahweh God, he said to her, You speak as one of the foolish women would speak. Shall we receive good from God, and shall we not receive evil? In all this, Job did not sin with his lips, it says. Very admirable. We want to be like Job here. Then we see the friends. The friends coming along, first sitting with him and, and, and kindly caring for him by just sitting in quiet with him. We all need that sometimes, don't we? Just somebody to sit with us. Not to say anything, just to sit with us. But then the counseling begins. Time goes on. Pain continues. Job continues to struggle more. Job, throughout this time, is now beginning to struggle physically. He's struggling mentally. He's struggling spiritually now, and he's struggling socially. All four of those struggles are building up on him. More knowledge, more experience, but brings more questions now. So all we got to go is one more chapter when Job starts asking why. Chapter 3. Job starts asking why. Why did I not die at birth? Why did I not come out of the womb and just expire? Why did the knees receive me? Why did the breasts that I should nurse? 
And then the evolution continues throughout the book. The suffering continues. The struggles continue. To the point of Job's last speech. In chapter 31, when Job says, Let Shaddai answer me. Let the Almighty answer me. He's now had it. He wants an answer from God. You could just feel the tension. You can feel the emotions raised. You could feel the struggle. And you could probably identify with Job here. So this is exactly what happens in chapter 38. God responds. In God's response, excuse me. In God's response, I see three things that are, that are revealed in God's response. First thing is our limited knowledge. Secondly, is God's infinite knowledge. And third, our need to trust God. Makes me think when I look at this, um, is God's answer pastoral? (laughs) Is this a good answer for Job? Well, it's kind of a hard question because it's God giving the answer. So it's a right answer. But I think about that as we care for others who are suffering. And perhaps we'll get some light on this as we we look at this passage. Verse 1. Chapter 38. Then the Lord, and by the way, the Lord here is now Yahweh. Throughout, Yahweh had not been used since, I think, chapter 2. And now this personal name for God is being used again when he comes to Job to respond to Job. The Lord, Yahweh, answered Job. How did he answer me? He answered him out of the whirlwind, out of the storm. It's interesting, the, the, the fourth character we didn't talk about in here was Elihu. And he kind of comes in around chapter 32 and just kind of criticizes everybody. He just kind of puts everybody in their place. And he speaks through chapter 37. But in the end of his speech, as he's talking, he's describing a storm. And you can almost see this storm brewing as he's talking The lightning, the thunder, the wind stirring up. And then chapter 38 comes, and the Lord answers Job out of the whirlwind. God answers out of this chaotic storm. His voice of order and majesty comes out of this seemingly chaotic storm. And here, at the beginning, he reveals our limited knowledge. He says this, Who is this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? Dress for action like a man. Do you ever hear the term in the New Testament, gird up your loins? That's what he's saying. Be ready for action. And I will question you. And you, Job, make it known to me. One commentator calls this a duel, like a sword duel, a duel of knowledge that that God is calling Job to. Okay, Job, it's on. I have a little note here. How is this comforting so far? (laughs) 
And now we see God display his infinite knowledge. Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Who determined its measurements? Surely you know. Or who stretched the line upon her? Or what were its bases sunk? Or who laid its cornerstone when the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy? Or who shut in the sea with doors when it burst out of the womb, when I made clouds its garment and thick darkness its swaddling band and prescribed limits for it and set bars and doors and said, Thus far shall you come and no farther, and here shall your proud waves be stayed. It's interesting, the way Yahweh answers Job from the very beginning is going back to his role as creator. He's the creator. He's reminding Job that he's the creator, that he is the all-powerful, all-knowing, sovereign creator who laid the foundation of the earth, who began the very creation in which Job was sitting and enjoying and being a part of throughout all of his life. It was God that determined all of those measurements. Now, it's interesting because he goes back to, 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 I am the creator, Job. I'm the one who did this. The fact that God created all things is one of his greatest testimonies of who he is. Think about what Paul says in the New Testament in Romans 1. When Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to all believe, the Jew first and the Greek. Then he goes to verse 18 and he says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. What is that truth? What is that truth that Paul is saying people have suppressed? Verse 19, he says, For what can be known about God is plain to them. Hmm. Because God has shown it to them for his invisible attributes, the things that cannot be seen, the things about God that we cannot see, namely his eternal power and divine nature, they have been clearly seen, clearly perceived. How? Ever since the creation of the world, in the things that have been made. God displays who he is in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse, Paul says. Now, if, if you, you know, we're, we're a big art church here. But even if you're not into art, perhaps you're into music. You're into some kind of art. I'm certain you are. And let me ask you something. Whenever you see a beautiful piece of art that inspires you like nothing has ever inspired you, what do you do when you admire it? Do you ever ask, who did this? If you are so drawn into that piece of art, how can you not say, who did this? If I hear a song, drives Christy crazy, but if I hear a song and she's just getting into it and I love the song, my first question is, who is this? Because I admire what I'm hearing and I want to know because I know that's a creation of somebody. 
Somebody created that in their heart, in their mind, and I want more. And not only do I want to know who it is, I want to know them. What stirred this in you? What's, you know, think about the things that we chase after when we see something that we love, we chase after. Think about, this is why there's such stardom. Because people who inspire others are want, they're, they're, people want to know them. They want to know the creators of all this beautiful art, all this beautiful music, the movies. And here's God putting his creation before us every day. It is a testimony of who he is. That alone ought to be drawing us to him saying, I want to know who created that sunset, those mountains, that ocean, that beach we were just at. Who did this? These animals are amazing. They didn't just happen. Who created them? Job, I not only made these beautiful, fearful, and beautiful things and these beautiful creatures, but I also control them. I also set their boundaries. I also set their measurements. I also tell them where they can go, where they cannot go, because I am the sovereign creator. Now, maybe that's not good enough. Maybe you still need an answer that explains. A real answer. If I just understood why all this was happening to me, then I'd be okay. My guess is no, you wouldn't. The closest thing I can come to with this is if we would ever take our children, I, I've used this before, but this is, this is very dear to me because it, it, it connects with me. Hopefully it'll connect with you. If I ever take my children for a shot or a test or something that's going to be painful at the doctor's office, of course it's for their good. They don't want to go. You guys didn't want to go. Of course not. I wouldn't want to go. You're going to go stick a needle in me. And that's all the child understands. You're just going to stick a needle in me. You're taking me to somebody to do it. You're not even doing it. You're having somebody else do it. So what I do is I'll explain Oh, no, you see, what you're getting is a vaccination here. And this is going to build up your immune system, and you won't be getting... They're like, I don't care. It's still going to hurt. They don't care. All I can do, all Christy and I could do when we could bring our children is just hold them. Remind them that we love them. Remind them that everything we do for them is for their good, even though they don't understand. You don't understand. I can't, I can't, you're not going to appreciate it if I tell you why you're getting a shot, but I love you. And we're your parents. And we have the authority to do this, to care for you. Sometimes we can look back on our suffering and we do see a reason, right? Sometimes we've been privileged to look back on our suffering and say, wow, what God did there is amazing. I mean, the reason why I'm here has a lot to do with some suffering we went through. And I look back and I say, I understand at least a little more now. Or at least I see some kind of direction there. However, the God of infinite knowledge and the God of infinite power will have reasons that simply go beyond our understanding. 
So it leaves us coming to realize with our limited knowledge and God's infinite knowledge, sometimes all you and I can do is trust in that infinite God. Trust that he is a good God, a good creator, the one who created those things, not just for his own pleasure, but for us as well. One commentator says this about Job. He says, when we talk about Yahweh creating all things, he says, since Job is not knowledgeable enough to discover why things take place on earth as they do, he is left with a decision. Either to trust Yahweh, believe that he wisely rules his created world, or to pursue his complaint that exalts himself above Yahweh. Yahweh leaves the initiative with Job, either to believe him, or continue to accuse him. And that's what we are left with in our sufferings. I don't have an answer beyond what God has revealed. Trusting our loving, wise, powerful creator to work all things together for our good and his glory, we either do that or continue to bring our reasons for not suffering before him to bring our complaints before him. I'm not saying we should never cry out to God. That's, that's all throughout Scripture. That's throughout the Psalms. He, he wants us to cry out to him. But not to lord our reasons over his. And there are times we just have to rest in what he has ordained and trust that he is good. And one thing here, when, when the text says that Job was blameless, I just want to hit on this briefly. It's not saying that he was perfect, but that he was wholeheartedly committed to the Lord. He was wholeheartedly committed to the Lord, and yet, see how he struggled in the midst of his monumental suffering, how he struggled with the Lord, the Creator, who loved him, but who also was seeing fit for him to go through this great suffering. Something to think about. Dave mentioned this, and, and I, I, I'm glad he did. I'm glad you did, because I wanted to mention this. The fact of Job's suffering is never really given a strong, a solid reason, a logical reason beyond God, what God said. But think about the people who are touched by Job's suffering throughout the world, throughout history. How many people God has used, or how many, how many people God has touched through the story, through the work of his word, in the story about Job. No, Job was not perfect. He was wholeheartedly committed to God, and he still went through this suffering. But as you and I know, there was one to come that was going to be perfectly righteous. One who would also be pursued by the accuser. Pursued, tried to be brought down by the accuser. Subject to all brutal suffering. And even that perfect one 
under his brutal suffering, was prompted to question. But in his humanity, he subjected his suffering and his entire life to the love and the wisdom of the Father. He was the suffering servant. Matthew 26 of Jesus, when he was on his way to the cross, before he was in the garden, he said, My soul, he told his disciples, My soul is sorrowful even to death. A deeply troubled, suffering soul. The soul of our perfect, our truly sinless, perfect Savior. And he said, remain here and watch with me. And going a little further, he fell on his face and prayed, saying, Father, if it be possible, I know what I'm about to go through, but let it pass. Let this cup pass for me. But in his perfection, he said, nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. He wanted the Father's will. And what was the Father's will? It was alluded to in, in, in uh, the Peter passage there we read. Isaiah 53.10, Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. Can you understand that? Can we understand that? Of all people, why he would do that to his son. He is the Lord. He's the creator, and he's a loving creator. Our Savior was troubled by his suffering and what he was about to undergo. Dying on the cross, but he knew the love of the Father. He knew that he could be trusted. And he went to the cross willingly. And he went for us. He went for those who were not willing. Yes, We will suffer. We will all suffer in varying degrees, won't we? Many of us have. Many of us are at this time. And we will have questions. And we will cry out for relief. But we have an advocate in our suffering now. We have an advocate, the one who suffered like no other, obeyed like no other, and loved like no other. Because he also trusted the good Heavenly Father as no other. May the Lord grant us grace and peace to trust him in all of our dark times of suffering and pain, but in our joyful times as well. Pray with me. Father, thank you for these words. Help us in our suffering, Lord. Help us to trust you when our trust has run out. Hold us closely to you. Through Jesus we pray this. Amen.